0: Time once again for another installment of the Built by Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you. Joined, as I typically am, by my two colleagues there at BOL, Charlie Potter, the outstanding beat reporter for the Alabama Crimson Tide for the website.
1: Charlie, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm glad to be back for another podcast.
0: And also, Hank South does an incredible job covering recruiting both football and basketball, you name it, Hank South got it covered for you. From the recruiting side of things, Hank, how are you today?
2: I'm great. Just started a new uh, Netflix series last night with my wife, Dead to Me. Highly recommend it. So uh, we're enjoying that. But uh, other, other than that, just staying busy with recruiting and uh, enjoying it. Sweet. We always
0: like Netflix recommendations here on the pod. You know, anything that isn't Game of Thrones related. And look, oh, yeah. I understand, right? Nick uh-huh. Saban. Nick Saban has taken <laughs> this to another level, Charlie Potter. Did You know, I'm not a Game of Thrones guy. I'm not anti-Game of Thrones. I just really haven't plugged into it yet. But, Charlie, what do you think Nick Saban's allegiance now to Game of Thrones sort of does for that series, especially within the old fan base?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, he was at the Regents Tradition Pro-Am yesterday. Um, he was asked about it when he was on the Jogs Roundtable, and— I I think I knew that he was a fan. He and Miss Terry like to watch a lot of TV shows, and uh, they have a lot of Netflix series they like to watch. Um, But, you know, he was just – he dove straight into Game of Thrones and was talking about it like it was, you know, a football game. And that was really interesting to hear. Um, You know, as as soon as I tweeted out a quote um, that I heard from him about, you know, he he was talking about recruiting and and White Walkers and things like that, I I don't even know if it was – 30 minutes and uh ted hyman over at 24 7 sports had a graphic up on instagram about it with you know, <laughs> nick saban and some, some light walkers in the quote so uh, i don't know if you know hbo will utilize it that much but i'm sure you know I, I know we have i know um espn the sec network uh you know they've gotten their social media teams together and are putting things out there about that so uh, with everybody talking about it, yeah, I know um, it, it's a, it's an intriguing one. And to add Nick Saban to the bunch, that's, that's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, now you're going to have some good old boys in places like
1: Dothan and Op, you know, <laughs> and
0: Silicaga that never had fathomed watching Game of Thrones. Now they're binging it as we speak uh, because Nick Saban is uh, a self-professed fan of the program. Speaking of Nick Saban today, guys, I wanted to get into the topic because we're hearing so much. It is early May. This is what we're stuck with for the time being anyway, because we don't have games on the field to really break down. Certainly recruiting continues to roll on. Uh, but in terms of narratives, the the Alabama Clemson uh, viewpoint has been widely discussed in, in from corner to corner of the college football world, it seems like, here of late. And specifically, has Clemson surpassed Alabama as the top college football program in the sport and kind of leads you back to Nick Saban. And you were talking about a guy who is 67 years old. He's going to turn 68 right in the middle of the 2019 season. Clemson on the other hand, you got a guy in Dabo Sweeney, I believe turns 50 either right before the season or during the season. So, with that, one of our topics for today, and we're going to get positional a little bit later in the pod. We're going to look at the linebacker position for Alabama, both from a team and a recruiting standpoint. But from both of those angles, I want to look at Nick Saban right now, and I want to talk about with both of you guys in terms of his fastball. You know, is Nick Saban still hitting ninety six, ninety eight on the gun on a consistent basis? Um, you know, and, and we'll start with with Charlie on that because. You saw Nick Saban here in the last few days out at the Region's Tradition event over in the Birmingham area. Uh, what do you see right now with, with Saban in, in terms of still having that edge, still having that energy? Uh, any noticeable signs, one way or the other, Charlie, that you see in Nick Saban?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, um, at the Region's Tradition, the media availability, first of all, is, is very brief. Um, you know, Kirby Smart came over and spoke for about two and a half minutes, but it's always in the same spot. And we, um, we being the collective reporters that were down there waiting on the Nick Saban, uh, we're talking about, do you think he'll be walking down the hill or, you know, they'll put a golf cart? Cause it is pretty healy. Um, and the grass was kind of wet and you're fresh off that hip surgery. You never know what you're going to get, but. You see, you know when Saban's coming because there's a commotion and then a group of people and then a flash of, you know, you see him and his pastel colors going by you. And and that's exactly what you saw. Uh, It didn't look like a a 67-year-old man that just had hip replacement surgery, you know, what, 16 days ago when he was at Regions. And um, he looked like his old self. Um, You know, one thing when he was talking to us, um, he mentioned how uh, he was (laughs) – He was at his house, and Miss Terry took the dogs down to the lake, and uh, he had been sitting in his chair, I think, for about six hours is what he said, and then he was fed up with that, and he got up and started walking around the yard. And um, (laughs) Miss Terry wasn't all too happy about that, and she said that – she's either going to call the doctor or the police, uh, if he doesn't get back in the house. And so he says he just doesn't sit well. And, and that antsiness, he's, he knows he can be at work sitting in a chair the same way he can be at home, sitting in a chair. And I think that shows his motivation and his drive for, um, not only himself, but for this team. And, um, you you, you mentioned the Clemson aspect and he was, asked about uh, how he feels about Clemson being mentioned as the number one program in the country now. And he kind of brushed it off, said, you know, every year is a new year. and um, you know. But he mentioned a couple of times how he thinks there's a lot of good things they can learn from the loss. And, uh, you know, the last time that we heard from from Nick Saban after a loss, Alabama went out and, and took care of business. So, um, you know, I haven't noticed any signs uh, of him slowing down. Um, you know, the, the hip, as long as he doesn't get too carried away with, you know, his antics, I think – uh, we'll recover well, and he'll be fine for, for fall camp, and he'll be back on the golf course in about six weeks, he said. So just from a my health, um, a mental, just an approach to things, uh, he, he seems to be the same old Nick Saban, if not a little bit more motivated this offseason.
0: Yeah, I think you touched on it. In the past, Alabama has responded to situations like the one it encountered in Santa Clara back in January very favorably. Uh, Now, most of those situations haven't involved being essentially blown out of the building in a manner, which Alabama was in that game uh, to Clemson. But is that kind of the gauge that you would suggest moving forward, Charlie, for Nick Saban? Is that response to things when they don't go well? Because you you touched on it again in, in, in the comment that you sense that maybe he's even more motivated. Um, if there comes a time where Alabama doesn't respond that way, uh, almost immediately, is that something that you would take more as a red flag in terms of, you know, where the program may be headed under Nick Saban?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, but you know, Alabama's probably going to be back in the national championship picture. It's the, you know, how do you respond whenever you face Clemson again? Cause those two teams seem like they're on a collision course. Obviously if Alabama gets through, regular season and skate, they'll probably face georgia in the sec championship game and that's going to be a tough road to hoe but um you know the the clemson aspect because you know, you, you mentioned Dabo's age um we we're talking about clemson potentially being the number one team in the country they're not going anywhere and i think that's the biggest hurdle for him but um you know the way that he started out the spring mentioning that alabama factor which is nothing new but we heard it a lot more than usual. The players were talking about it. Um, they're obviously motivated by the loss because it's something we haven't seen before. And I, I just think that all the things that we're seeing from him, um, you know, it, it's not surprising he's back to work, you know, less than 48 hours after having hip replacement surgery. But I think that loss kind of pushes him in there a little quicker. Um, you know, there's nothing really going on besides recruiting right now. Um, he knows he's not going to be playing the, his golf tournaments. So, um, you know, he's eager to get back to work and you see that with the changes in his coaching staff, you have a mixture of both recruiters and, and positional coaches that are good at developing players. Um, they have motivators like Salson Sari. We heard a lot from him in the spring. So I think he's trying to, you know, put all those chess pieces in the right places to, to not only get back to the national championship game, but to get over that hump and to beat a team like Clemson, who is you know competing for that top spot like Alabama.
0: Yeah. Nick actually benefiting from a rule that many call the Saban rule, which is the one that keeps head coaches on campus in the spring. Uh, whereas 10, 12 years ago, they could go off campus in the spring, but the bump rule, uh, because it was being violated, I guess you could say so often, uh, led to NCAA legislation that keeps head coaches on campus. That's afforded Nick Saban the opportunity to this window to be able to take care of his health. Uh, in his hip and and get himself back to where he needs to be and ready to go by the time fall camp rolls around. Hank South, what about from a recruiting perspective? Um, You've watched this intensely over the last handful of years uh, with Alabama, with Nick Saban. Uh, What have you sort of noticed, if anything, uh, as far as the approach and the impact, I guess, most importantly, that Nick Saban and that name has with 17-, 18-year-old kids?
2: Yeah, you know, I want to first start off by saying, you know, we have guys out here in their mid seventies running for president. You know, so I mean, <laughs> Alabama f- head football coach. We we'll probably have another debate for another day about the pressures of the presidency and uh, the Alabama head football coach. But no, like you said, I do see it from a recruiting standpoint, and uh, you know, you know, with with that, and and this has kind of come up in the last couple of years, and it and it's an easy you know pitch for other teams to make against Alabama is Nick Saban's age you know the pressures of playing at Alabama he runs a rigid program they they use all these negative uh recruiting pitch tactics against Alabama and you know for lack of a better word you know that has to piss off Nick Saban i mean and and i think coupling that with the Clemson loss and how last season ended, I feel like there's this new fire lit under him. And you, you look at the recruiting class right now, it's number three in the nation. Clemson is enjoying some momentum um, in the 2020 class right now. They've landed a handful of five stars. And, you know, that happens when you win the national championship. Alabama fans know that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think how everything's kind of unfolded the last few months with recruiting and with the national championship game, I think it's kind of given him this new fire. And we've talked to recruits, um, uh, Seth McLaughlin, one of Alabama's offensive line commitments. He, he visited back in February and he said, uh, he talked to Nick Saban about how long he's going to be there and, and what his plans are. And, and of course, Nick Saban told him, uh, he has no plans of going anywhere, but, uh, he, he also, he, he, uh, he said a funny story about how, when he first got to Alabama, he was supposed to be going to Texas. And then the next year he was supposed to be leaving for the NFL. And then Three or four years ago, he was supposed to retire, and, and he's still there. And so he kind of – he laughed about that story. But, you know, another interesting thing Seth McLaughlin told me was talking to Scott Cochran, the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, he, he said that Scott Cochran is not letting Nick Saban leave. He said he's too young to retire. So uh, so I, I think he still got it. I, I think that everything has kind of happened in the last few months is kind of uh, – given him a little bit, a newfound energy uh, and kind of a new focus and a, and a new goal to reach, as opposed to just going for that national title record. Not that that's what he's focusing on, but I think now to, you know, come back combat Clemson and, and going the years forward and, and kind of um, sticking on this path is something uh, that I, I think he looks forward to doing. I think it's given him um, some new energy in, in doing so.
0: And hey, you touched on it um, there, Hank, with with age not being the number, that, that it once was, whether it's the president of the United States, whether it's college sports. Look at Mike Krzyzewski right now, 72 years old. You know, Look at the NBA. Greg Popovich is 70 years old, head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, just signed a, a three-year extension uh, to continue to coach there in San Antonio. You know, these guys are among the very best in their respective sports at advanced ages. And when you look at their staff, maybe – there's a bit more continuity from year to year for guys like Kay and Popovich, but that might actually be a good thing for Nick Saban, this sort of turnover that we've seen the last couple of years. Now, it's been extreme, even by Alabama uh, standards under Nick Saban, but you look at some some past programs, and, and, and even right now, it's viewed as a big-time benefit to Clemson, how Dabo has been able to sort of keep that staff together from a continuity standpoint. But when you get to an advanced age, I'll give you guys like Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno who had staffs that over time got a little too much mossy on them, too much moss on them, uh, and it became complacency. There's that fine line that's there. And from that perspective, Charlie, in the spring, we got a first glimpse at, at these new assistant coaches. Do you think that reinvigorates Saban maybe a little bit in terms of the turnover?
1: Yeah, and um, you know one of the things that it got brought up a little bit during the spring is now he doesn't really have a position group to to look over. Sure, he's with the corners all the time, and he's watched the defensive backs, and then he'll go over the quarterbacks. But you have two defensive back coaches now, and that takes a little bit off of him. Um, You know, we've seen him in, in practice before. He used to say he had the best interception arm in the game when he was throwing balls up to the corners, and now we see. Um, you know, an analyst or a GA, whatever, um, throwing the balls to them. So he's, he's kind of taken steps to, I guess, preserve himself. And with, you know, the, the way the staff came together this off season, it was interesting to see that he brought in a safeties coach and kept Carl Scott on the coach or yeah, the coach, the corners. Um But, you know, it, I think, if you look at the makeup of this staff, you have some former head coaches, some former coordinators, uh, guys that he respects across um, you know, the profession. You know, he mentioned Charles Kelly, who's going to be coaching safeties at Alabama, um, is someone that he's wanted to add to his staff for a long time. Obviously, Sal Sanseri has already been here, and um, you know he had that familiar voice when we went out and he was getting after the outside linebackers. And that's good for some of these young players, guys like Iyabi Anoma. So I think when you look at uh, the way that he's put this staff together, um, he, he wanted to go into the 2018 season and, the, and to cap the 20, um, and to cap this recruiting class by adding recruiters because they kind of got stale in that department. He did that Alabama went out and signed the number one recruiting class. Well, you kind of dropped off a little bit in the developmental and the motivational, uh, aspect of the, the, the positions that all these coaches had and he went out and got a good mixture of those guys guys like Charles Huff who is well respected among the players but is a hell of a recruiter uh, guys like Brian Baker and Sal Sanceri who I've, I've said it's on blue in the face but you could hear them every time you stepped on the practice field because they're getting after those young guys and making them better so um, yeah I think with this staff um, it, it makes sense just from you know an off-season standpoint, from the Saban standpoint, that this is the way that he would lean. Uh, but a lot of these guys also, I think, will will be here a couple of years. You have some some older coaches. You don't have that that wave of young guys that are in there, and I think some guys that kind of um, you know live by the same the way that Nick Saban does. They're grinders, and so um, you know we'll see if there's another off-season that, that's like this, but. I think that he put his staff together that can be there a couple of years, but also is going to kind of get, like we were talking about earlier, get Alabama back to the point where they want to be and maybe get them over that hump.
0: Yeah, Hank, you want some semblance of continuity on a staff, right? And, you know, throughout his tenure, Nick always has pretty much had a Kirby Smart that was a long-timer, a Burton Burns that was a long-timer. As we go through these last couple of years and sit here today – Who is sort of the anchor, or anchors, would you say, of of this turned over staff from the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, you know that's a good question. I I think the guy that comes to mind first is is Jeff Banks, and he's been a guy that came over from Texas A and M after Kevin Sumlin was fired, and and, uh, has been a really big asset to the staff, not only from a coaching standpoint, um, coaching special teams and the tight ends and all that, but uh, from a recruiting standpoint. You know, he he took over. Several areas. He he helps out in Cal, or he he recruits uh, Southern California. You know, Arizona, uh, the Tampa area in Florida. So a lot of hotbed areas. Um, and he's kind of the guy we see uh, most active on the recruiting trail, at least from a social media standpoint, and kind of, you know, making stops out on the road. I think yesterday, Alabama handed out four or five offers at IMG and Lakeland and those programs out there. Um, so I think he's one. Um, I think Pete Golding is another, you know, obviously um, he, he has uh, a new, new responsibility as defensive coordinator is uh, uh, primary defensive coordinator and not with the co-defensive coordinator title anymore. Like he had with Tasha Lapoy at least. Um, and, and I think he's a guy that we could see kind of, you know, stay with the program for a while and continue to develop under Nick Saban. Cause he's one of the bright, uh, young defensive minds in the college in the college game. So I, I think those two, and obviously those are kind of those are two of the uh two of the guys held over from the 2018 staff but i i think they're also two guys you you can kind of point to as as far as being um, kind of the anchors and, and carl scott too you know another guy that was on the staff last year as well but i, I think he's kind of a uh, an up-and-coming name in in the coaching ranks um, and, and he's a really strong recruiter as well so I, I think those three guys we hear about them a lot and then and charles huff as well you you could really make an argument for any of the coaches uh, but you know huff scott Golding Banks, I, I think those guys uh, can really be those anchors at Alabama and and uh, you know get some continuity going uh, with these recruiting classes.
0: Yeah, and Charlie touched on a guy earlier who is, is critical to all of it, and he's not an on-the-field football assistant, not in terms of a positional guy, and that's Scott Cochran. If you really want to worry about the long-term prospects of Nick Saban and you're an Alabama fan, if if Scott Cochran leaves for whatever reason, that's when you should go ahead and get on the clock with your your biggest concerns uh, about the the, the length uh, of, of Nick Saban's tenure moving forward. It is the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Schreier, senior analyst, joined by Charlie Potter, the Alabama beat reporter for BOL and also recruiting analyst, Hank South. Guys, I want to transition into some positional talk today. I want to look at the linebacker positions. Let's start inside and we'll go with you first, Charlie. Coming out of spring practice, you know, after an incredibly talented run at those inside linebacker spots, I think we became sort of desensitized that, you know, every year Alabama was going to have five stars stacked up like cordwood at inside linebacker that sort of started to tail off and really came to a temporary end, at least here in the last 12 months or so um, just your viewpoint of how that shook out in the spring opposite Dylan Moses is Josh McMillan, a legitimate content contender as a red shirt senior to take over that other spot. Or are you kind of keeping your eyes on Shane Lee and maybe even a couple of the second year guys, maybe even Markel Benton.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you leave the spring feeling a little bit better about the inside line your position if you're Alabama. Uh, but entering it, I think it was one of the top concerns just in terms of depth, like you just mentioned. Um, obviously, you know what you're going to get in Dylan Moses. He's a guy that's probably going to be an All-American, a finalist for the Buckus Award and all that if he can stay healthy. And um, I think opposite him, Josh McMillan did a lot of good things in the spring. I think he's a reliable option. But I also think they want one of these young guys to step up. Um, you know, that was a concern uh, early on in the spring after the first and second scrimmages. It just seemed like those young guys weren't clicking. The first was just mental uh, errors and, and miscues, which if you're the, the Mike linebacker, your quarterback in that defense, that's going to lead to overall difference in miscues. The second scrimmage was some poor tackling. Uh, you know, Nick Saban pointed to that uh, pretty quickly when asked about the inside linebackers. And I think... Um, the A-Day game made you feel a little bit better. You saw Jalen Moody had a pick six. Shane Lee had an early interception and, and played really well. I thought Markel Benton did too. But you know, outside of those five guys and then Ali Kaho, that's where it drops off. You, know, you can move some players around. We've seen them move outside linebackers to the inside linebacker and things like that. And you're going to have another guy come in in the, in the summer and Christian Harris. But um, you know, it's a position that the depth needs to develop over this summer and in fall camp, those guys need to continue to take steps, continue to improve, uh, live in those playbooks, uh, because you do feel good about Dylan Moses. And I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if Josh McMillan is the game one starter against Duke. But what if something happens to one of those guys? We've seen um, you know this, these past couple of years, both linebacker positions have just been um, plagued by injuries. We've seen you know, Mac Wilson. Get injured. We saw Dylan Moses get injured as a true freshman. We've seen Sean Dion Hamilton. Uh, You can you can just go down the list of the guys that are at the top of that pecking order. So, uh, just you know, to to make Nick Saban and Pete Golding sleep a little bit better at night, I think those young guys have to take that next step, and it'll be interesting to see what happens um you know in the in fall camp when we get back on the practice field and see those guys out there if if a guy like shane lee who had a really good spring who i heard about during the fourth quarter program and kind of transition that to the field if he can continue to take those steps and maybe be that number three linebacker before behind the two older guys
0: yeah the big picture you got to take into account too right if dylan moses turns out to be that three and out guy well then The sense of urgency at inside linebacker only goes up a notch or 12 for 2020. So even if Ali Cahoe, even if Jalen Moody aren't in that top three for the 2019 season at some point, got to keep developing those guys and be hopeful that they can get to that point for 2020 and beyond. What about it, Hank? What has gone wrong? What is the problem at inside (laughs) linebacker? I mean... As I spoke to before, you had all these five stars. they were they were ready to go whenever you needed them uh, in all seriousness. What's the hit rate been like? and and maybe even more importantly, what's the availability of quality inside linebackers been like uh, on the recruiting trail these last couple of cycles?
2: Yeah, you kind of scratch your head when you look back at the ending of how twenty the twenty nineteen class ended. And you saw a guy like Henry Toa Toa, who, who seemed like he was trending to Alabama in January. That seemed to be the spot he was going to end up at. Uh, and then he commits and signs with Tennessee when he has this opportunity to come to Alabama. And, and you know, we, we're seeing Shane Lee do it right now, compete to get on the field a, as a true freshman. So, uh, you know, that one kind of stung a little bit, I think, for Alabama at to to to. to Wrap up the 2019 class as far as a a position of need, uh, but but going forward, you know they, they do have options at inside linebacker in 2020, and you know you can't really rule out a possible grad transfer uh, potentially joining uh, the the team for 2019. You know Nick Saban has has said before, you know he's always they're always looking for people that can help out their team, so you can't really rule it out, especially this day and age with the transfer portal and you know how we saw Ali Keho come to the team last year. Uh, it's really never too late (laughs) to say, uh, somebody can't be on their way, but, um, but no, going forward in 2020, you know, obviously Alabama, they have a handful of linebackers committed, uh, specifically at inside, uh, Jackson Bratton, who's been one of the longtime commits for, for Alabama. He joined the class uh, in March of 2018 and and has been rock solid with his pledge ever since he has taken visits, but you know, these in-state kids, uh, You know, the only way they don't typically end up with Alabama and is if Alabama doesn't want them that, I mean, let's just be honest that that's how it happens. But Jackson Bratton an all state linebacker at Muscle Shoals, just a really good player. And the kind of player we, we see uh, Nick Saban and staff really covet, um, especially at that linebacker position. But um, as far as other targets, you know, the one guy, I think that, that if you're making a dream class for Alabama uh, at inside linebacker, Justin Flo, who's rated the number one inside linebacker in the country. Out of Upland, California, he's he's a big time target, a guy the staff really likes. Steve Sarkeesian was out to see him in California a week or so ago, and I'd anticipate him taking a visit out to Tuscaloosa pretty soon. Uh, but he's a big time target. Uh, you know, you look at the offer list on on BamaOnline.com of who they've gone after, and there's not many at, at specifically at the inside linebacker position. So then you look at the outside linebackers they've offered, and kind of kind of try to pick out guys you think could end up on the inside and there, there's a few of them um, and including one they just offered last night, Des Moy Kennedy out of uh, Theodore down in the Mobile area, a four-star former Auburn commit at linebacker. So uh, they have options uh, and, and Camp's obviously going to kind of point to the guys that they're really going to push for um, going forward in the 2020 class, but uh, it's certainly a position of need and one the staff is, uh, is uh, going after hard.
0: You mentioned it, Hank, and and Charlie, we've seen it as well, that potential to cross-train guys, it's been a cornerstone of linebacker play at Alabama under Nick Saban. I mean, you can go back to guys like Dante Hightower early on in Saban's tenure, guys like Courtney Upshaw who actually started inside before moving outside, and right on through the last few years, Uh, Dylan Moses was a guy who started outside, now we see him inside. He can do both. So... Uh, You always have to keep that in mind when looking at these linebacker prospects in general. Guys, let's shift outside and look at that spot. And Charlie, based on the spring, I think you would say the depth looks to be good, although the biggest question marks there have to be Terrell Lewis and Christopher Allen when fall camp gets underway, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest storylines for the outside linebackers were injuries because, um, you know, Terrell Lewis and Christopher Allen were back on the field uh, to start things, and then Terrell Lewis kind of shut things down uh midway through the spring because of that knee injury he suffered last year. And and that makes sense. You kind of want to save him for the season and they know what they're gonna get in Terrell Lewis and they just want to get him as healthy and comfortable as possible. Um, you know, Christopher Allen seemed to be a step ahead of him, even though he was injured a little later. And um, you know, that's good news for him because I think he's gonna be in that top four if they want to go with a four-man rotation and outside linebacker. Um, you know, Ben Davis also dealt with injuries. I know Alabama fans love to bring his name up, but um, he kind of got back on the field at the end of the spring after having some um, surgeries on his shins. But uh, depth there is is a lot better than inside linebacker. We saw that just because you look at the position and um, you have a guy like Cameron Latou who's playing at tight end. He's a guy that could have been a big help off the edge if they needed it, but – um, you know that you had Anthony Jennings back. Uh, he's a guy that uh, did more and more, and you know he's he's coming back from that injury and looking more and more like himself. Iyabi um, Anoma had a really good spring. It seemed like every time that they were out on the field, you heard something about Iyabi and Noma and he seems to have um, you know a better head on his shoulders. South Senseri is helping him with that, and, and if he can you know keep the distractions away, then um, I think Iyabi can have a really big year and. Um, you know, the young guy like Kevin Harris who came in, it seemed like South Sinceri really liked him and was getting on him and wanting him to get better as well. So the depth is good there. Um, you look at it, if they wanted to go with four outside linebackers, you figure uh, for that season opener, you have Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis up top, and then Ayabi Anoma coming on the field quickly, and, and Christopher Allen can help and run support as well. So uh, you yeah, have much better shape for the outside linebackers. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. You can always move some guys around. We'll see if Cameron Latou joins rejoins the fold, but I think he might have found a home at tight end. And, you know, uh, they have some players coming in as well in the summertime. But uh, with South Sanceri leading that pack, it seems like the outside linebackers are in a much better position.
0: Hank, from the recruiting perspective, I believe the biggest concern at outside linebacker in terms of that position, coach, wasn't so much in on-the-field work. Uh, on the practice field or on game day, with Sal Senseri taking over for Tosh Lapoy, but more so from the recruiting perspective, because we know Tosh was elite when it came to college football recruiters. Uh, is there a uh, you think a noticeable drop off there from Tosh to Sal, or or do you think it's it's not maybe as much as as some might think it is?
2: You know, I I think there. I mean, I think there's a drop off in recruits perspe- perception. Um, whether I think there's a drop off between Tosh and Sal, no, not really. Um, you know, you look at guys like Savelle Smalls and like I just talked about, Justin Flo, two guys from the West coast an area Tasha Poi just crushed as a recruiter for Alabama. He landed guys like Najee Harris, you know, Jonah Williams, all those guys out there getting them to Alabama. Um, you know, there was going to be a drop off there. That was the guy they were familiar with that was their recruiter. And and Savelle Smalls and Justin Flo have both said that they want to get back to Alabama and kind of reconnect with the staff. Uh, And I think that goes for a lot of the elite, elite guys that Tosh was in on. Um, In this 2020 class before he left, you know, I think once they got once they get back to campus and, you know, get to know know this new staff because, you know, like Charlie talked about earlier, I mean, people people rave about Sal Sanceri. The recruits that have met him and have been recruited by him love the guy. And and as far as coaching, he's got all that, too. So um, I I think it's just a matter of getting these guys back on campus and getting them familiar with this new look staff, uh, especially in the case of these West Coast kids that that don't really know too much about the new guys, the new coaches on the staff. I think that'll be critical this summer. And I I think I think once that happens, I I think we'll see kind of some momentum build with these guys. You know, Savelle Smalls is a uh, for those that don't know, he's the number one outside linebacker in the country, number four overall player out of the Seattle area. Uh, you know, he's wide open. He, he could honestly go anywhere at this point. and w- with Tosh Lepoy on the staff, it looked like Alabama was uh, a spot he was seriously considering and, and maybe even trending to. So he's expected back on campus here uh, maybe a couple times in the next couple months, and, and that'll be big for him. Uh, but you know, I mean it, losing Tosh does hurt from a recruiting standpoint, but I think it's just a matter of these recruits getting back to campus and refamiliarizing themselves with this staff and with the program
0: gonna put you on the spot Hank South if Tosh Lapoy <laughs> hangs around is Henry Toa Toa a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide in 2019
2: yeah I don't, I don't want to upset Bama fans I, I think I think so I think that was I think that was a big loss for Alabama uh when, when he decided uh when, when he left for the Browns and, and uh and Toto opted for Tennessee um and, and honestly I I would go as far as saying I think Chris Bogle would still be in the class if Tosh Lepoy, uh stayed with the staff. Yeah. Too, I think that really caught the family off guard—not um, not caught off guard, but I, I think that just surprised the family. And Bama, you know, Bama tried to get down there and and uh, and uh, fix that or bridge that gap there, um, but it was just a little too late um, with with the timing. But yeah, it, it was a loss. But I, I think they have the guys in place that can that can keep Bama going, chugging along.
0: Yeah, I think you hit on it. The more that recruits become familiar with Sal. Uh, just look at the existing guys. Charlie talked about it earlier. Who knows if Ayabi Anoma stays around Tuscaloosa? Uh, it, it can work both ways. It, it can be a positive, too, sometimes when you go from one guy to the next. And, and maybe Sal Senseri has had that much of an effect on the former five star edge rusher, Ayabi Anoma. Um, Hank, real quick here as we close. You don't have to go far on that 2020 commitment list for Alabama on BamaOnline.com to see that the, the outside linebacker position looks to be in pretty good shape already for this upcoming class.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that's been a, an area they've really hit on hard that two, two, two of their top rated, the two top rated commitments, uh, Chris Braswell and Drew Sanders are both projected as outside linebackers. Obviously, uh, Braswell, that, that edge rusher or both of them can really be elite edge rushers. Um, uh, and then, you know, you, you go down the list and look at a guy like Dericky Wright. You know, he, he's at six three two thirty eight 238 out of a uh, he he talked about being recruiters as a safety, but you really don't see too many six-three, two hundred and thirty-eight-pound safeties. I, I think he could certainly be a guy that moves up and plays linebacker. I think he could play a number of positions. You know, I think we'll we'll find out what he's going to do when he comes to camp this summer. Uh, but just one of those big elite athletes in the state of Alabama this year. There's there's a few of them um, beyond just a Ricky Wright. Um, so it it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But yeah, just just an area that they've really touched on so far, and I think that they can really build some momentum for themselves. Um, in the summer months coming up.
0: So there you go. That's your third installment of the Built by Bama online podcast. Charlie, appreciate it as always.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me and Hank. And uh, I know this will be published before, but just happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, including mine, who
2: there I you to go. To this podcast.
0: Hank, uh, Charlie knows the deal. Hey, uh, <laughs> Hank, good stuff as always. Enjoyed it.
2: Hey, appreciate it, Travis. And happy Mother's Day.
0: All the moms out there <laughs> And even the single dads That wear both yeah. hats We're going to give it up to you as well I think we covered all the bases guys uh, Here on the Built by Bama online podcast Stay tuned And continue to keep track Of everything Alabama At BamaOnline.com Two of the very best in the business And Charlie Potter and Hank South And continuing coverage Of the Crimson Tide You're going to be able to find there at bol, And we'll also have another podcast coming up at you very soon. Until then, stay tuned to the Built by Bama online podcast. Have a great Mother's
1: Day weekend, everybody.